Hey everybody, Ben Nelson, the Everyday Real Estate Investor here. I am coming at you with another episode of the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in to the show. I am super excited uh, to continue to bring awesome uh, guests that are out there doing the thing and seeing success in real estate investing and, and sharing their stories. So I'm doing that again today. I've got uh, an awesome guest. Today we've got Justin Moy. Managing Partner of President's Club Investors. Justin, thanks so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Ben, man, I'm excited to be here. I know we've uh, talked back and forth a little bit to make this happen. Excited to, to come on and, and talk to the audience. Awesome. Well, well, I always start out with kind of getting giving people some context as far as, you know, where we can talk about what you're doing. We'll get there. But, but where did you come from? Like, give us a little bit about your background. Tell us how you, you know, what you were doing, what got you first interested in real estate investing, and then kind of how you made that transition. Yeah. So, you know, I, I got pretty lucky in that uh, when I was growing up, I was looking for that very first office job, uh, like an internship, because that's the path that I was told was really important, you know, go to college and get some experience and kind of climb that corporate ladder. And, you know, maybe that's a good idea, or maybe it's not for certain people, but I was looking for that just very first internship. I knew I wanted to get an office job. I wanted like weekends off, right? Because at that time I was working at grocery stores and retail stores and stuff like that. And it just so happened that that first job was in a real estate office. So I worked at a commercial real estate company called Cassidy Turley. And it's been bought and sold several times since then. I don't think they exist anymore. I think they got bought up by one of the, one of the big ones. But I was a 17-year-old kid and I absolutely loved that field. I knew nothing about real estate or real estate sales. There was one guy in there who sold warehouses. I never even thought about the prospect of selling or buying or owning warehouses. I know you know, how that business even comes to become. But I really enjoyed the energy. I loved the vibe of the office. I loved seeing people succeed and seeing the wins and seeing the shout outs. And it really stuck to me. So that was 17 years old. And when I was 18, maybe the, a couple of days or so after I turned 18, I got my real estate license. And it seemed like a natural progression for me. And, and so I started selling single family homes in the Bay Area of California. And I was really not good at it. <laughs> I, really, I really bombed it for the first about six months. I, I closed no sales. Uh, and, you know, you know, being in the brokerage field, if you close no sales, that's really bad. You, you don't make any money. Right. So, yeah. You know, I'm six months and thankfully I'm living with my parents. It's, it's not a huge deal, but I'm six months in and I've made zero dollars. And I've been, I was working harder than I'd ever worked before. And I was actually getting ready to quit that job. I was in the office. I would cold call a ton. Uh, all day, every day, I was looking for business. And it was one day, it was about the six-month mark, almost exactly. And it was 7 p.m. at night in the office. And I remember taking my headset off and I had a little dent in the top of my head like you have when you cold call for a couple hours. And I decided I, I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm going to leave. Uh, I'll just walk out. They'll just never see from me again. You know, they'll, they'll get the hint. And I saw one more lead come up on our little dashboard and decided I would make one more cold call and that would be it. Called that person up. Um, very first person to ever say yes to a listing appointment with me ever. And so much so that I thought it was a prank. I thought one of my friends was, was pulling a prank <laughs> on me. So ended up uh, going to her house, listing her home. That was my very first listing. She bought her next home with me. They closed on the same day. And that was a $60,000 net commission to me after wow. taxes and fees and everything. And this was the so, better year, right? That's awesome. So I want to pause right there just from a mindset perspective of, yeah. you know, we – People, people see other people's success and 
you know, oh man, look at them. They had it so easy and they don't see the work behind it. Right. Number yeah. one, number two, so many people quit. You, you just admitted, right. I was this close to quitting and so yeah. many people get there and they do quit. Right. They don't make that one last call. They don't knock on that one last door. They don't, you know, attempt to do one more deal. They, they just, you know, you're, they're about to turn the corner. You put all of this effort mm -hmm. into being successful and then you quit right before you are. Yeah. So I just, I just want to point that out because I think that's super important where people, a lot of people give up right before they're about to see success. And it's just mm -hmm. like, keep pushing and keep making you know that effort. You're almost there, right? Yeah. And that was a huge point to me because it really taught me to buy into the process and not the outcome. Because when you're brand new, yeah. you're chasing this outcome, you think you should be getting sales, you know, you're kind of told the industry averages, which may or may not apply to you. I think at the time it was like, hey, if you ask 20 people if they want to sell their home, you know, you'll get a, a listing a month or whatever they told me to, to sell me to, to go into the field. Yeah. For me, it wasn't that way. It took me six months, six months with no sales. And then I got the single largest check that I, I'd really ever gotten right after that. And ever since then, you know, it got a lot easier after that, but it didn't get easier because I just closed my first sale. It got easier because I had a pipeline now. Mm -hmm. and all that work that I did six months ago was finally starting to come to fruition now. And then that really sold me out. The biggest piece of advice there was just to always trust the process, work the process, and the outcome will follow. If you put together an effective process, don't worry about what when you'll achieve what you deserve. You're going to get there when you put in enough work. So that was yep. a really big win for me. Yep. That's and then great. after that, you know, I continued to go on into – President's Club Awards there and, and be top producing in the office. And it really set this stage in my life where now I just don't give up. You can't give up because like you said, you're, you're always right there. And now whenever I'm thinking of, of quitting something or stopping something, and even if it's as simple as like my own podcast, right? Passive Real Estate Strategies. I've thought about hanging up the mic on that so many times. And every time I'm about to, somebody calls me or reaches out and says, man, I love your podcast. And you know, I, I'm thinking of investing. Can you help me out? It, it just works that way. So yeah. it was a really, really big shift and it really set the stage for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's awesome. L lots and lots of lessons there, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a great, I appreciate that background. So, um, so great. So started out really young, um, dove, uh, you know, right into real estate, kind of, kind of a little bit by, by fortune and, and just kind of starting out with a job mm -hmm. that's in the industry. And, and then um, tell us a little bit about what that, so you're not a real estate broker now, right? So tell us a little bit about uh, that transition from being a real estate broker to uh, turning, turning into an investor. Um, and then you can talk mm -hmm. a little bit about where that led and what you're doing now. Yeah. So the biggest difference from selling to owning was really the difference between transactionally rich and really wealthy. And I knew when I was in my role, you know, to be a top producing salesperson in any field, it takes a ton, a ton of work, not just on the actual day-to-day -day of what you have to do, but on getting better, the education, uh, practicing, rehearsing, doing your scripts, role-playing, all. I mean, it's such a laundry list of things you've got to do. And you can make great, great money. But I realized, again, I was transactionally rich. I closed a deal, I was on to the next. I closed a deal, I was on to the next. Every month, I started back at zero. And even in just a few years, I started to realize how I'm making great money. I love the money I'm making. I love the lifestyle I've created for myself, but I am getting exhausted. And I don't think I can't, I can't imagine a world where I do this for 30 years or 40 years until I can, you know, kind of retire. And what really unfortunate too is if I went on vacation or something like that month, my income would be lower. And, you know, I didn't really like that. If I got sick, uh, I didn't really have those plans. My income would drop. 
So I was looking at ways that I could turn those sales into consistent income. How can I take my larger commission checks that I'm getting and turn it into something that pays me over and over again? And so that brought me into the realm of investing and in, in ownership. Now, because I was in real estate sales, real estate ownership as an investment kind of made more sense. But what really made the most sense to me is when you're a sales professional, there's not a ton of investing strategies for you specifically in terms of the public market and typical financial advice. They don't really take into account variable income. So that kind of cash flow every month or quarter is really important to you, that distribution. They don't take into account how your income responds to downturns in the economy. So when your income drops because the economy is going down, you don't want your investments going down too. And real estate is one of those things that historically have performed well during recessions or downturns. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take into account your tax position. A lot of times real estate professionals or sales professionals are taxed like crazy or their commissions are withheld a lot. So a lot of them weren't tax advantaged. So I was looking for these ways to convert my income into real wealth and real estate solved all those problems And it gave me a path to retire within just a few years of of investing, which is not something you ever really hear of anybody doing in the public market. So now that's what I do a lot. I help other sales professionals specifically uh, contribute to funds that can help them retire within 10 years with that being the ultimate goal. And and I've loved it. I mean, that's what I do now more on the ownership and the investor side. And I've I've been doing that for quite a few years now. And uh, that's what what I really love. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think... I think the thing that um, a lot of real estate brokers, agents miss, mm-hmm. they're so busy selling real estate, they forget to own it, yeah. <laughs> right? And so yeah. kudos to you for recognizing that and, and, and very cool. So that's basically kind of your target audience mm-hmm. is people like, like that, that were in your position and yeah. uh, converting that, that uh, earned income into, um, into investment income, into passive yeah. income. Yeah. And there's there's no resource out there for salespeople. If you look up, you know, investing for doctors or physicians or chiropractors, engineers, you get tons of groups and forums and Facebook groups and companies. You get a ton of that. If you look up investing for a sales professional, even though our income is different and we do have high income, the only things you really get are like sales courses, which is great. The investment in yourself will always have the highest return. But once you have that money, now what do you do? Yeah, position this money so that every time you make an investment, you buy back a little bit of your time. Every investment you make, you reduce your dependency on your normal earned income until eventually you can replace it. Like so, within about ten years was my goal. So really putting an emphasis on now that I'm making great money, what do I do with it? Yeah, yeah, that's great. So so talk a little bit more then about that and how you help people do that. What kind of? Yeah, um, you obviously you're raising you're you're taking their earned income, mm-hmm. their capital, and then you're investing it for them. Yeah. So talk about how that, that works and what you guys do and and you know the types mm-hmm. of things that you're investing in. Yeah, so what we do is called syndication. And that can really be broken down as there's a group out there that'll do all the work in a real estate investment, typically a commercial investment, larger property, apartment buildings, self-storage facilities, big funds, um, anything there that's a little bit larger. And syndication means, hey, you as the investor bring the down payment and the working capital on the deal, and we do all the work. And when the deal is said and done, you as the investor actually get most of the profits. So what we do is we create larger funds. So a lot of times what people don't understand is you can invest in bigger commercial properties as a retail investor. 
that you get the best terms when you have large, large investments, right? So where these big institutional operators and these big family offices and hedge funds get these phenomenal deals is because they're putting down a couple million bucks into an investment, they're going to get preferred terms. Yeah. So what we do is we pull together our investors and you know, you as an individual may not be able to invest a million dollars yourself, but us and our group of investors can. So we're able to take that big, you know, let's say one to five million dollar investment, go to these large institutions and say, hey, we want a seat at the table now too, because we're bringing a significant investment. Yep. And through that, our investors get unique access to deals that are very exclusive. And they get terms that you can only really unlock with this massive scale of, of investment that most people can't make individually on their own or, or at least don't want to. Yeah. So we really pull those people together and then give access to deals and give preferred terms. And through those things, typically in commercial real estate, we've been able to get returns that project to let most people retire within 10 years through cash flow, which has been really awesome. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And so you're you're you know, your barrier to entry to these better, these bigger deals, these better mm-hmm. returns uh, is, you know, it's you've got a, there's a, yeah, it's a high, it's a high barrier to entry. And as an individual, um, you have to earn a lot of money or, you know, be born into wealth or something like that. A lot of times mm-hmm. to get involved in these deals, it, unless you're, you know, this is the power of working together and joining forces with other people, uh, both yeah. other investors and, and operators, uh, where you can now have access to these deals that you couldn't before. So yeah. uh, and it's uh, access to unique returns and unique tax benefits. Yeah. I was going to touch on the tax side of it too, because as a real estate professional, um, and I think that you mentioned earlier that, you know, that was part of what had you looking at it too, was the cash flow with the tax side of it too, right? So, yeah. you know, you get access. We're not tax professionals, by the way, but yeah, uh, but yeah as, a, as a real estate professional, you have certain tax benefits that others don't. And so yeah. if you are a real estate broker, sales broker, things like that, and you're, and you're making, you know, there's depreciation benefits, things like that, mm-hmm. that you can take that others yeah. may not be able to, so. Yeah. And even if you're not, you still get to take advantage of a lot of these tax benefits, right? So a lot of people, you know, whether you love them or hate them, you hear these headlines of, oh, Donald Trump, is a, he's a, this billionaire. He pays zero dollars in taxes. How is he getting away with this? Well, he's not getting away with anything. He right. just is utilizing and leveraging legal tax codes. Yes. And those are the same benefits that we offer to our investors. Because again, Donald Trump is that billionaire. He has access to these types of deals. He has access to the money to make these types of investments. Now, you as an individual may not have access to these deals or the money needed to leverage your way in, but us as a group, we do. So it really is a big way for you to have a seat at the table as part of a larger entity and get to play a bigger game that people have been playing for generations. It's just now more available to that retail investor. Yeah. And what's actually great is that um, they're continuing, which is, you know, not to get political or or (laughs) too much, but, you know, uh, it's pretty common to the government to kind of continue to to stifle things, right? Yeah. And they've actually, in recent years, kind of been going the other direction as far as making some of these things more available. And mm-hmm. I know not to get too much in the weeds on that, but they continue to do that with like, you know, kind of trying to open up where so there's, uh, you know, accredited investors versus non-accredited investors, yeah. and so they're now they're they're like exploring and, and started to. to to look at implementing ways to um, mm-hmm. even change that a little bit more where people, if you're not an accredited investor, if you don't currently have a certain amount of, of net worth, 
um, or income, you still might be able to to fit in that category with with certain yeah. education requirements and things like that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and and I love that. I couldn't agree more because uh, there are actually real income barriers to this. It's one of the only yeah. industries that you actually have an income barrier. You're allowed to essentially not discriminate. It's kind of harsh, but tell people, hey, if you don't make a certain income, you can't participate. Which I think this country has never really enjoy doing and we don't really like that so i'm glad i think it's a little bit late but i'm glad they're exploring some of those options for people now yeah yeah it's it's yeah more to come on that i'm i don't know all of the nuances on that but i know they're they've been they've been working on things like that yeah. so so awesome so uh so you're mainly look you're doing commercial real estate then different mm -hmm. assets uh i don't know if there's something specific like a certain type of asset class yeah. that you're mainly focused on maybe talk about that and and maybe some uh, markets, if you're willing to talk about like where you invest typically, if you have yeah, absolutely. markets you love and, and why you love those markets. Of course. So we've been multifamily people throughout the entirety of our company. Uh, so apartment buildings is what we like. Typically something at least 50 units or more. Our smallest is 40. Our largest right now is uh, 144. But that's what we kind of manage and operate. What we do now with the fund model that we've created, is, and we've done that all in the Midwest. Uh, we love, you know, Kansas City areas, Missouri, Oklahoma areas. And what we are able to do now with the different fund model that we run is we can actually partner with other people throughout the country and throughout different asset classes. Now, one thing that's really important is it's hard to be an expert in everything. Many people, the best ones are in their specific market, in their specific asset class. And what we were not able to do with our investors is give them the diversity that we feel that everybody should have. So what we do now is we will go up to other groups and maybe they specialize in Phoenix or maybe they're in Washington or Dallas and they do self-storage or this group does you know, uh, luxury rentals versus low-income housing. You know, there's so many niches out there that we can't be experts in all of them. But we want our investors to have the diversity and the access to all of them. So now we're more location agnostic because we have partnerships, but we'll be able to say, hey, but our partner in this deal has been in, you know, in Michigan for 25 years and they know this market. So they're the experts that they're filling that, that criteria. So we've opened up the location because of that, because of different partnerships we've had and even the asset class. But right now we do a lot of multifamily, a lot of apartments. I think through this next year, you'll see a lot of self-storage and a lot of low-income housing coming from opportunities that we like. And there was a ton of data about oil and gas that we're interested in too. Um, there's some opportunities for some enormous returns in the oil and gas fields and the energy fields um, that we haven't dove into yet, but there's a lot of people going that way because of some really strong data we're seeing there. Cool. Awesome. So, so have your kind of foundation in multifamily, but continuing to mm -hmm. uh, expand and, and explore options. That's great. Yeah. And that's yeah. a great way to go, but you, you, you know, it, leaning on experts, leaning on other people in other markets, you know, uh, you know, it's really hard to kind of, you know, and I see this with people that are like getting into real estate and they're so like, well, whatever works, I'm going to do it. Right. They kind of are unfocused. Like, what are you looking for? What kind of investing are you doing? Ah, just whatever, whatever deal comes along. Okay. Yeah. So basically you're not doing anything. Right. So <laughs> you have to, you have to build that foundation. It, like it's fine to be multifaceted. I think that's great because it adds mm -hmm. diversity and, and, you know, it's interesting to be involved in different things, but you, you can't, you got to have that base first to build off of. And then, okay, yeah. we've got this solid, we know what we're doing here. Now let's expand these, yeah. these other markets, these other asset classes, things like that. Yep. Yeah. And then it becomes who, not how. 
you know, once you have a pretty basic understanding of the investing field in general, uh, you know, we can open up and, and say, hey, I'm, I'm comfortable partnering with somebody else on a self-storage deal, even though I've never managed a self-storage deal, but I've managed both my family and kind of the business mechanics are relatively similar. Now, there's other nuances that I, I wouldn't invest in somebody who's brand new in that space, but um, I'm confident that our experience in, in real estate right now, we can get most of the way there. And with a great partner, we can get all the way there and really offer those to our investors because we invest too. So when you invest with us, you're investing in a deal that we're likely investing in. We want the diversity. So we want to open that up to our investors as well. Yeah. Awesome. Sharing the wealth, right? So yeah. yep. <laughs> that's the goal. And, and, and uh, buy in on your own end and in your own deals. That's always mm -hmm. great. So yep. yeah. Awesome. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about, so um, maybe both uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, put this question into one. So as you are yeah. making your transition and you can answer two different, cause it's going to be two different answers, but as you are making your transition from W2 um, or, or more, I guess you were, you're W2 and then you're independent contractor, right? Working for yourself yeah. and then into this, uh, you know, investor, business owner, um, asset manager uh, um, role. Talk about some, maybe some challenges that you had to work through, whether mm -hmm. that's mindset, whether that's logistically, um, I'll let you answer that however you want. And then, yeah. um, and then add on to that, maybe, um, challenges that you're seeing right now in, in, uh, in your business that you're trying mm -hmm. to work through. And again, maybe logistically, maybe, uh, market, um, I'll let you take that where yeah. we want. So, yeah. So, you know, when you're switching over into running your own shop, whatever kind of business that is. What's really great about having that W-2 is you typically have a very defined role and you have a lot of direction and you have a good amount of either teamwork or supervision. But then when you go to start your own shop, you may not realize all the little nuances that just go, like there's so much work in just managing and running a business. That's not even the business that you wanted to start. You see that so many times in certain industries where they open up a, you know, let's say a bakery because they love to bake and they go, oh my God, baking is like less than half of this. I got to market, I got to do taxes, I got to do my books, I got to like customer management, I got to manage employees and hire and fire. There is so much other things out there. Loving what you're doing day to day is a great first step to creating a business, but just realize that just because you love that thing doesn't mean that you should just go open a business and do that thing. Absolutely. Um, I have, Absolutely. Yeah, I had a, a little bit of a bridge by going to the independent contractor route. So yes, I was self-employed, but I wasn't opening my own business. I didn't have leases. You know, it was like a little bit of a, of a gap of a bridge from W2 to kind of independent contractor and then to running my own business. So you have to realize it, it's okay if you don't want to run your own business. It's okay if you love what you do and just realize that if you love what you do, you may not have a business where that's what you're doing day in and day out. Actually, in the best businesses, it probably is not what you're doing because they call that working in the business and not on the business. Yeah. Right? So you're kind of stifling your like, growth. I so, feel like that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really mi a big misconception from mm -hmm. maybe uh, past advice, you know, the whole follow your passion thing. And it's not yeah. that you can't and it's not that you shouldn't um, enjoy your work. Um, but to your point, if you love baking or if you love, you know, I don't know, art or whatever, like doesn't yeah. mean that that's necessarily the business you're building. And it, and it may be if you can figure out a way to do it, but it also may yeah. not be. And I feel like, I, I think it's Gary V that I've heard him say that a couple of times um, where he's, I don't listen to a lot of his stuff, but I feel like mm -hmm. I've heard him say a couple of times basically that, you know, um, in his colorful language that he always uses that, that <laughs> like, you know, following your passion is not 
really the right, like you should do your passion, but that's not, mm-hmm. that's, that shouldn't be your business. You should yeah. build your business and then your business can fuel your passion. And I'm yeah. not how he said it, but that's essentially his point. Yeah. And that's a great way to think of it. And again, you know, I, I'm not ever telling anybody not to follow happiness, but maybe starting that business may not be happiness to you. Maybe it is doing what you do. And that's part of the reason why I love what our firm does is because a lot of people, they want to invest in real estate. They know what's good for them and they know it's a phenomenal investment, but they don't want to and should not go and be real estate investors. Maybe you're a phenomenal salesperson and you're just crushing it. You're making a ton of money. Don't take even one hour away from what you're good at. Outsource that to somebody else. We will manage those properties better and we will get you better returns and, and it's stronger and everybody gets to stay in their lane and do what they do really, really well. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think you need to have all these hats. Just wear your hat very, very well and then you can kind of outsource the rest. Which is why, you know, a lot of people, I think they do get in trouble because they open a business. Again, they're a baker. They love baking. They realize baking is, you know, a small part of owning a bakery. Right. And so that's just the word of caution to it. Um, and then I, should, I don't remember what your second question was. What yeah, you- yeah, yeah. So before we go, so I think, again, I think that just to reiterate, I mean, um, I think people, when they when they follow that passion, to your, again, the, to your point, they they don't think about all the nuances that goes that go yeah. with the business. So just kind of remembering, you know, looking at that big picture and, and understanding that before you dive in. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you just, uh, there's so much more to it and then just the, the passion aspect of it. And no one's telling you what to do. You, I mean, you mentioned that earlier, right? If you're not self-driven, if you're, if, you know, it, it is challenging to get up in the morning, even if you are a driven person and, and know what it is, and that comes from clarity too, but mm-hmm. knowing what it is you have to do that day and, and directing yeah. yourself to do it. Um, it's a lot harder than I think people realize until they start doing it. When you go to a job and you have a defined role and someone's telling you what, what needs to be done, you just do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, so you're the one figuring that out every day, right? So yeah. yeah. Um, so the second question was, what? so challenges, any challenges that you may be facing now? Like, and again, that could be, challenges in the market. Um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I know people as they're scaling, uh, their business, sometimes there's challenges they see there, um, just logistically there may be something just, so however you want to answer that, but we're always facing, I think, challenges to some degree that we got to overcome. Yeah. I think one of the challenges right now is actually an interesting one because everybody in our industry is facing it and that's, it's much harder to raise money for investments now than it was, you know, a couple year or two years ago. And it should be the opposite. People should be so excited to invest right now because market corrections are coming. There's a ton of distressed debt coming due in the next about 12 months in the commercial real estate space. So investors tend to have this mindset of riding these waves. And when the waves are really high, that's when a lot of people are excited. They're buying in. Mm-hmm. But it's the opposite, right? You're supposed to buy low and sell high. But when things are climbing, right. climbing and going high, a lot of people are excited and it keeps kind of that, that cycle going. But people should be excited to get investing now. And it's harder to get people to realize that as opposed to a year or two years ago when everybody was throwing their money at you. They wanted to get these deals. Now people are more hesitant when it should be the opposite. They should be extremely gung-ho, really ready to go out because this is going to be some of the best buying times we're going to see in the commercial real estate space, maybe for our generation or this decade. So I think that's a big part of it is the education of taking that person who's maybe that sales professional or maybe outside of the investing world and letting them know, like, hey, no, this is the time that you were asking me about, you know, last year, two years ago, five years ago, that time is here. You shouldn't be hesitating. So yep. 
I just looked up a quote because I couldn't remember it. So I knew it was Warren Buffett, um, but he said, uh, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are are fearful, right? So, you know, when everybody's making money, um, that's when that's when people are greedy because it's like, oh man, everybody else is making money. Let's jump in. And then uh, now everybody's, you know, starting to have that more of that fear um, in the market and, you know, what's going to happen. And now it's the time to, you know, I don't now know, I, I don't know if greedy is the right word, but um, it, it's okay. Opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Right? I think we can be greedy. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that, you know, you're, you're looking for these opportunities um, and, and they're coming, they're here Yeah. and you got to be ready for them. Yeah. So don't be hesitant. And, and to us, it's it's more frustrating in the financial industry because it's like you're almost telling people like, no, no, this is what you've been asking about. This is what everybody's been asking for. This market correction, um, you know, you shouldn't be pulling back right now. You should be going forward. And down. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, and I totally agree with that. And I feel that way as a broker as well. Like this mm-hmm. is, you know, things have slowed down. Granted, you know, I am always hesitant with, you know, you look at year over year sales numbers and all that. It's like, yeah, well, last yeah. year was like insane. So it's not really a yeah. good measure. But um, but the truth is, is that there, there people are going to start dropping out of the industry. I mean, mm-hmm. the, next, the next few years. Yeah. Um, and so and, and a lot of that is going to be self-inflicted. It's going to be mm-hmm. mindset. It's going to be, you know, maybe you weren't doing the things in your business that you, you just were riding that wave. And so you didn't really have to figure out how to run a business. Um, or you're pulling back, right? Oh, shoot. Uh, I'm not making as much money. I've got to pull back on my marketing. No, mm-hmm. no, that's the opposite <laughs> of what you should be doing. As people are dropping out, you should be doubling down on that and becoming, you know, taking their, their piece of the pie if they're, if they're going to give it up. Right. Yep. Um, and so that's kind of the same, the same kind of concept. And exactly. um, yeah. And, and so let's, let's touch on the market. So you kind of, cause we kind of went there with that, with the answer to your question. Um, I totally agree. Um, if you don't know, so, so residential and commercial are very different. Mm. And I would say this in, from even within the same asset class, there's no such thing as the real estate market, right? What, what market are you in? What neighborhood are you in? What, you know, what asset class are you in? It's all going to, it's all going to react differently. So, um, we're not talking about residential right now. Um, I'll just set that aside because it could react very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, just there's different factors, right? Everybody's got to have a place to live. There's inventory things. There's all mm-hmm. sorts of affordability in a different way. And we're looking at, you know, incomes and, and that sort of thing versus, you know, investor returns and things like that. Although you're also looking at incomes with rents and that sort of thing, but, Correct. but yeah. still different factors in the residential world. Uh, but you touched on it earlier. So, um, there was a lot of there was a lot of cheap debt for a long time, mm-hmm. so people were getting in, and, and and loans are not the same in the commercial space. Yeah. You've got you've got you know balloon payments, you've got adjustable rates, mm-hmm. uh, you know you've got a lot of bridge loans out there, a lot of things that are that are short term, and it, whether that's you know amortized long term, but you still have a balloon you know payment due and you gotta you gotta do something or you just got a short-term bridge loan to, to maybe do a repositioning there's a lot of people that have these really low interest rates that they're not going to be able to keep and they've got to figure something out so ta- let's yeah. talk about that a little bit what you see there yeah so there's distress coming in the commercial space there's about 1.2 trillion dollars of debt coming due over the next 24 months and 50 percent of that was bought with variable rate loans, meaning when they purchased these properties, uh, you know, two years ago, and their rate was two percent, three percent. That same property now, your rate could be as high as seven percent more. Right. Yeah. And 
there's so much that happens when your rate shoots up that fast, not just rates, but insurance has gone up and taxes have gone up. So right away, it doesn't matter what you do or what market you're in. Those are three of your non-controllables, really, your, your taxes, your insurance, and then your interest rate. So half of the properties are purchased with variable rate debt. And there's about 2,500 properties, which Yardi has seen, that have a debt service coverage ratio below one. Meaning, yeah. if your debt service coverage ratio is below one, you don't make your debt payments. Not only that, a lot of lenders do audits, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in one, a one debt, debt uh, service coverage ratio is not typically yeah. good enough. Yeah, and so what these banks are going to do is you can't pay your you can't pay your mortgage, and if you want to refinance it, when you go to refinance, the way the commercial banks do it is they look at the income and the expenses and they determine what loan they're going to refinance you into. Right? Refinance is just another loan. So when you go to do that, what people are getting hit with is, man, because your net income is so much lower than it was a couple of years ago because the rates are higher, insurance is higher, taxes are higher, uh, occupancy is lower. A lot of people now, all that COVID money is gone, so they're kind of rooming up with each other, vacancies are higher. Um, you see rents going down in certain markets, which is actually good. That that's healthy for those markets. They cannot yeah. go like that. They're gonna say, "Yeah, we'll refinance you, but you've got to bring a lot more money to the table. This property is either not worth what it was a couple of years ago, or we're not willing to give you this big of a loan on it because your income is is different." Yep. So they call that I mean needing capital to to mm-hmm. close. Yep. So the option yeah, so instead of doing a cash out refinance, which is probably the plan. Yeah. Or, or at least like refinancing, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people were doing that. Like the basically the burst strategy with with apartment buildings. Yeah. Right? Well, now you're cash in refinance. What's that? I say you're a cash in refinance at this yeah, point. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Let you yeah. pull money out. Not um, really the plan. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to come to the table with money, and a lot of people don't want to do that, or they cannot do that, or their investors don't want to do that, or cannot do that, which is understandable. So the option is to sell it. Yeah. Well, there is not a single operator, group, or bank that has more money this year to buy real estate than they did last year or the year before. Not a single one. In that same study, yeah, you did private institutions, venture capital, uh, public banks, private banks, local banks, and regional banks have all pulled back their cash allocation to real estate. So you have properties that can't make their payments. You have properties that can't be refinanced without significant additional capital put in the deal. And you have significantly less money chasing these deals. Yeah. When you have less money chasing these deals and you have more people selling their deals. That's called a buyer's market. Yeah. Where I'm from. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which we haven't seen really. And, and, you know, we could talk about residential in a minute, but in the commercial space, that's called a buyer's market in any space. Yeah. So those markets are here. So if you are part of that investment group who can allocate more capital to real estate, who is pushing more into this asset class, you are going to come out ahead. Yeah. Just by market fundamentals. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's great opportunities coming up and we're really excited, especially over this next year or so. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg, I think, but that's a mm-hmm. big, a big piece of it. And, you know, for a couple of years, like if this would have happened a, a couple of years ago, well, it's hard to say for sure, but just, but, uh, you know, rents were climbing so fast in, in a lot yeah. of markets where it's like, eh, you know, well, our rates higher, but you know, we can we can absorb it with rents. Mm-hmm. Well, you just mentioned rent, rents are are declining in, mm-hmm. in a lot of markets, and part of that is because they raised, the, you know, they they went up so quickly. It just was yeah. like it was not sustainable. And so, 
you know, people are getting into these deals with really cheap debt and with, you know, a lot of speculation on rents and, oh, they're going to, you know, I, gosh, I would hope that no one's, you know, putting pro forma numbers with 20, 25% annual rent, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, even if you're being conservative, um, you know, I know people were using numbers that were that higher than what's, mm-hmm. what's typical. And, and so now you're in this space. And so, you know, some people might hear, oh, well, you, you know, distressed sellers and all you're just, you're taking advantage of somebody. Well, I mean, number one, they did it to themselves mm-hmm. to some degree, right? To some yeah. degree. There's a lot of people that just were not as careful as they should have been. Number sure. two, it, they're, they're going to need a solution. I mean, the bottom line is they're going to have to do something. And, and you're providing a solution and someone has to be there to buy that asset. And so yeah. it may not work out well for their investors, unfortunately, but that's not on you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, it's better than it being foreclosed on and then getting nothing, right? So correct. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you just gotta, you know, again, I just think sometimes people hear that and they're like, oh, you're taking advantage of somebody else's situation. And like, well, not really. I mean, they're yeah, professional too. And- yeah, I don't think so. I mean, pe- people love to buy things on discount. If you go to Kohl's and there's furniture on sale, you think, oh, well, I'm taking advantage of the discount. I know. It's so funny, no, though. Not. But when, you're talk- <laughs> yeah, when, they, when they're talking about investors, though, it's different somehow, right? It's like, yeah, I want to go to the car dealership and get the best deal that I can. Or I want to go, <laughs> you know, when I buy my house, I want to get the best deal I can. But then if an investor tries to do it, it's like, yeah. for whatever reason, yeah. like taking advantage of someone. So, exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I always talk about providing solutions and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the perspective I, I, I come with. And, you know, yeah, it's maybe they're in an unfortunate situation, but, um, something's got to happen to that asset and there's points behind that asset that that asset too that need to be continue to have housing and service and all that stuff too so um awesome well that's great um yeah i think there's going to be a lot of opportunity um here in the near future as well Mm -hmm. just for a lot of those reasons so um okay so kind of closing question here what what advice i'm going to ask it again a two-part question here so Mm -hmm. what advice would you give someone who started out kind of in the same place that you started out and they're like looking at options for investing what 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 piece of advice what what maybe next steps should they take and then what advice would you give to someone just um that maybe has some capital and they're looking for options but they're not really sure um how to get involved in real estate real estate man that's the option that that's you got a big real estate guy um so if somebody's there and they're, you know, they maybe want to invest, um, they're looking at different options. They don't know what to do, or they want to get into real estate in some capacity. So let's do the first one. Do you want to get into real estate right now? Maybe you got a W two, or maybe you're in sales, or whatever you do. The first question that's a answer for yourself is: Do I want to be active, or do I want to be passive? If you want to be passive, that's fantastic, but don't do active sports. Don't go to buy houses yourself. Don't look for acquisitions. Don't look to do burrs or rehabs. You know, all those things are very, very active. Yes, there's less work involved when you own rentals than maybe another full-time job, but there's also not much money in it unless you have this really big scale and you really run it like a business. Yeah. So if you want to buy yourself a second job, that's fine. But if you want to be a passive investor, which most people say they do, look for those passive strategies syndications, funds, and real estate investment trusts, where you give money to sophisticated full-time operators, they do all the work and you are the passive investor. So answer those two questions. If you wanna be active, that's great, dive into that field. If you wanna be passive, that's great, 
dive into those strategies. If you have some capital and you're looking to make investments, uh, there's a couple things you would do. You want to look at your goals and look at how much money you have. I think one thing that people don't really realize, they go into real estate or they think of real estate, they think of you know cash flow, rental payments coming in. That's what I want. I want cash flow. Well, that's fine, but for that cash flow to be significant to your life, you need a lot of investment, investable cash. You know, if you're going to get a six or seven percent cash on cash return, and you've got fifty grand to invest, okay, you're getting a couple hundred bucks a month. That's not really life changing. Right. You might want to look at what do I need to do to build this pot of of cash until I can eventually put it into cash flowing deals and then retire from that. So that's what I talk about, and in, in we have a retire within ten bundle uh, where we go through a calculator and we really talk about the strategies of hey, when should you build equity versus when should you look for cash flow. For most people, they have to go through a phase of building equity versus converting to cash flow. If you want to learn more about that, I have a resource for you and your listeners. Go to retirewithin10bundle.com. I'm going to give you a, a retire within 10 calculator. You put in some basic information about you. It'll show you how fast you can retire through cash flow in years. Most people at that five to seven year mark, depending on how aggressive they want to be. The second is the definitive the definitive guide for investing for sales professionals. So this is going to walk through some of the pain points we talked about, what are some of the best investments for you, how to protect your investments. And then the third, I actually have a bonus gift for them. So this is a, a tool that if you were to join a $20,000 to $30,000 investing mastermind, this will be one of the first things you get. This whole package will be the first thing you get, but this is a really big one. It's going to help you mitigate risk in your investments and really track and analyze your investments going forward. It's going to save you a ton of time. So again, retire within 10 and the 10 is the number. So one zero bundle.com, get all that stuff. It's totally free, um, but really just understand those things and where you are and it can really expedite how fast you can really retire from cash flow, which is what most people are looking for. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I'm going to jump on and get those just because I think those are all great. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that's great. Yeah. I mean, having a plan is key, right? Mm -hmm. And, and knowing, you know, where are you now? What do you have to work with? And then actually having a strategy and a plan. And so many people start, start out, you know, Hey, I want to get involved in real estate and they just kind of, you know, buy something and they don't really yeah. think it through. Right. Which, you know, maybe better than not buying anything, but mm -hmm. uh, it works a lot, whole lot better if you, if you plan it yeah. out, and get through. So yeah. that's great. I agree. Awesome. So other than that, if someone wanted to reach out to you about, uh, you know, just a chat or connect um, mm -hmm. or talk about maybe what you have uh, working for deals right now, how they might be able to invest yeah. with you guys and what you're doing. How, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Um, so you can search up my name, Justin Moore or, or the President's Club Investor and you'll, I'll pop up. Uh, same for like Instagram or if you go to presidentsclubinvestors.com, that's our website. You can see some forms for me. You can book calls with me uh, or get my contact info there, but those will be the best places. Social media is a great one. LinkedIn, I'm the most active on, you know, Justin Moore or President's Club Investor and you'll find me. Awesome. Justin, I appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for sharing uh, about your journey and what you're doing now and talking about the market and the opportunities that are yeah. coming up and, and all that stuff. So I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much, man. This has been great. Hopefully the, the listeners enjoy it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.